From KIOS in Omaha and Exarban Creative, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Jen Bauer, who is running to represent District 3 on Omaha's City Council. I am all for this. I, I really feel that we need change, progressive change, collaborative change in Omaha. I, I am part of a huge group of women that are running for all seven city council districts. And I think that is incredible. Just the, the, the unity of being part of that is uplifting to me. Bauer talks about her childhood where she had a dream of being on the Supreme Court to trying to navigate in a world that did not obviously allow people like her to do the things that she wanted to do, to finding a way to enact change and to be a part of communities here in Omaha. Stay tuned for my conversation with Jen Bauer right here on Riverside Chats. And welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Jen Bauer, who is running to represent District 3 on Omaha's City Council. It's a crazy time, crazy year. Who would have guessed? I've been doing this show on KIOS for about a year now, and uh, when we started, um, <laughs> I recorded several interviews ahead of the air date that we started, which was in April. Um, so I, I was using the studio. You know, I, I, we had a podcast studio forever ago, and it felt like you know this is not the real thing. This is I'm so excited we've we've legitimized up into recording in the actual radio station. So I recorded several interviews at the radio station, and um, I don't know if you remember April of last year that well, but I remember our on our you know first couple of episodes. It was unclear what was going to happen with the pandemic. We had to, I had to go back and edit interviews with, uh, with people in office because I didn't mention the pandemic at the beginning. And then I spent the next year interviewing people from my basement uh, over Zoom. And so it's been interesting. Um, as we reach hopefully the end of this era, uh, people are getting vaccinated. Maybe people will start to go do things again. I'm personally desperate to go back to watching movies in the theater. I hope, I hope Filmstreams is listening. And I hope that they let me go live in the micro cinema for a couple of weeks uh, once I get my second shot. So, you know, let me know. Let me know. Let me know in the comments. All right. So today I'm talking with Jen Bauer, who has an outside perspective from Omaha, but she's lived here for 10 years, gotten to know the city. And like so many people on this show, felt compelled to add her particular skills, insight and perspective to enact change in a way that she thinks the city needs. So here it is. Here's my conversation with Jen Bauer, running to represent District 3 on Omaha's City Council. All of the conventional wisdom for years seemed to be saying that you have to be out there talking to people. You have to be meeting people. You have to go door to door. And then, of course, in the last year and a half, you know, it's been pushed online and everyone's kind of had to figure out what's a successful way to do that. And so, I mean, how, how has running a campaign been at this point? Well, it's, it's been a challenge for sure. Um, when I bought my uh, lit to drop, right? I thought about it and I got the kind with the little door knocker holders because I thought, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to knock on somebody's door and, you know, if they don't aren't comfortable coming to the door, I can just leave this without having to open the door, or, you know, which works great when there's no wind. <laughs> yes. Um, but I have scheduled some events that are outside mm -hmm. um, to kind of combat this. But um, it's been a little rough. Although Facebook just recently allowed us to promote our pages. Oh. They had stopped promoting all political and social issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, as of yesterday, we were allowed to promote. That's nice. Yeah, I can't even share episodes of this show that have political people on them. So, yeah, that's... Uh... Well, you should be able to now. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you are not originally from Nebraska, right? Where did you grow up? I am not. I am from... Well... I'm from a small town outside of Cleveland, but I just say Cleveland because Cleveland rocks. Yeah. Big Drew Carey fan? Mm, not so much Drew Carey. Um, big Browns fan. Got it. Okay. So yeah. what, what was it like? Were you, were you in a, a, like, a was it a political household? Did you have some idea, even as a kid, someday you'd run for office? Absolutely not, although my mother will tell you differently. <laughs> um, my family, my mother's a retired school teacher. My father was a small business owner. Um, my mother made it very clear from, I don't know, time I was yay big that you would vote and there was no going back. I mean, I remember going into the voting booth with her, which in those days you walked into a booth, pulled the curtain shut and switched levers. Okay. Um, and I remember that and it was the coolest experience ever. 
Um, but in our house, we never discussed who we voted for. Is that because you know? did your parents have uh, different people they would end up voting for? I don't, I don't know. Oh, I, guess I mean, they were <laughs> Yeah, I just it never knew. My father was a registered independent. My mother was a registered Democrat. Um, oddly enough, I'm a registered independent and my brother is a registered Republican. Okay. So that's about literally as far as discussions went in our house. Now we did talk about the, you know, city council races and the taxes and the, you know, this ordinance and that, but nothing, there was no pushing you one way or another. Oh, you, so you were able to talk about issues. It didn't have to turn into partisan bickering. Exactly. Exactly. It was nice. Well, so what, why, what was it that made your family uh, revere voting so much? Because I feel like a lot of people, although in theory, the philosophy of the country, it makes it clear why people should vote. It's very easy to get disillusioned when things aren't going the way you want them to. So, I mean, do you know a little bit about your parents, uh, you know, how they came to revere it and want to pass it on in such a you know specific way? Well, it was kind of the same thing about going to college. If you wanted to go to college, it was fine. If you wanted to go to trade school, it was fine. But either way, you were going to get a job and you were going to be a, a, a part of, of society, right? So the same with voting. You were given this right and you should exercise this right. If you don't exercise this right, you have no room to complain about anything from taxes to ordinances to the street, you know, the lines on the streets. You had no room to complain unless you were part of the, the solution. And so, I mean, as a kid, were you, were you able to get excited about ordinances and things? Because it's hard to get adults to care yeah. about that stuff a lot of the time. No, you know, I think the first thing I remember as a kid with an ordinance is we lived on a small, um, I don't even want to call it a hobby farm. It was, you know, a couple, two, three acres, but we had horses, right? And then sometime in the 80s, the zoning in the town changed and you had to be grandfathered in to keep these horses. Well, you know, I got into high school. My brother got into high school. We didn't have time for that anymore. And I just remember my mother like, I'm going to register some horses. It's like, well, we don't have any horses. But if you want to get horses again, we're grandfathered in. And it was that sort of, you know, those sort of discussions. Now, she never registered horses she didn't have. <laughs> I don't want that to, <laughs> to come out. But it was that sort of discussion. That is literally the first thing I remember about zoning back in the 80s. And so some part of you maybe kept that in your brain and just sort of like understanding a little bit of how things work. I assume it sounds like you got kind of a head start on that, that a lot of people don't have. Like a lot of people, when they're adults at some point, they choose to lock into that and then you have to figure it all out. Right. But you just maybe had some of that already. Right. So I had a little bit. My dad was also a small business owner. Okay. What was so the, what was he, the business? You know, um, he had a lawnmower repair shop. Okay. You know, um, just a little, you know, a little mom and pop, kind of like a, uh, it was a Gravely dealership. Now, if I say Gravely when I'm out in North, you know, in West Nebraska, people know Gravely, right? Mm -hmm. um, but for him, it was, you know, I have this shop, but I also want to have this display area and that's not zoned. And so I did have a little more than everybody else, I guess. Well, so, okay, when when you decided then what you wanted to be, I mean, how, what did you, when you were a kid, did you have specific plans or dreams? Oh, I was going to be a golden girl at the um, in the Senate. I was going to be an intern in the Senate. Um, I was political science all the way. I got to college and went, yeah, I, I can't make a living at this. This is, this is not for me. And then I decided, oh, I'm going to become an accountant. Wow. Okay. So that's that's a sad political story there. Um, it is a sad part story. So okay. So you wanted to the Senate dream. I mean, what, what was the origin of that? Were there specific idols or heroes you had? Um, no. In eighth grade, we all took every school took a trip to D.C. Right, and we got to walk through the halls of um, Congress and the Capitol and you know the Smithsonian and everything. And one of the things was um, the um, the way that the Senate was lined up on that day that we were there, there were all these interns running around, right? Like coming out of doors, you only get so close and they're coming out of doors. And I'm like, well, this, this looks super exciting. Like they must be making change. Yeah. Right. I was in eighth grade. How old is that? I don't even, you know, 14, 13, 14. Yeah, something like that. Um, 
you know, so these kids look super old to me, not knowing that they were only 19, 20 years old. And they're, you know, in their 1980s business suits, and they just looked important, Mm -hmm. like they were making a change. And I'm sure they were. Um, And that's where that all started for me. So did you want to be a senator then? No, I wanted to be on the Supreme Court. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, those, that's the highest reaching, you know, that's as high as you can go in my mind. Not that president isn't a high reaching goal, but I just didn't want that. I wanted to be a group of people that made decisions. So what this appeal to uh, this, you know, to be in these positions, making this change, were there specific changes that you were drawn to? Like, was it because you want to see change on this type of issue or was it just sort of like to be in the room and to be a part of it? I just wanted to be in the room. I just literally, I couldn't have told you what was going on in 1984, just to age myself right there, to tell you what was going on to, to facilitate my reasoning. I don't, I don't remember, you know, I just remember that at that point in time, I was four years away from voting. I was going to vote in my first election. I was going to go to college. I was going to get a political, political science degree. And that was going to be where I started. That's as far as I got. So, okay, so you get to college, political science degree. Did you end up getting an internship with any politicians? I did not. I, I switched my major after a year and went into business accounting. Well, okay, so you said it's because you, you realized you wouldn't make money. Is that like as as an intern you wouldn't make money? Or what, what was what was that decision? It, it, was, it was more around the fact that, you know, the intern positions were so um, focused on who you know. I was going mm-hmm. to Kent State university right the home of the shootings from the 70s not exactly a hotbed of political um internships but you know not not low on the radar either because what had happened in the 70s Mm -hmm. and i just had um people telling me you know you probably aren't going to get this internship you don't have a family name you're not going to an ivy league you're not going to a georgetown or anything like that the odds of you getting an internship are slim And I mean, that's a horrible thing to tell an 18 year old kid. Right. And I was just like, okay, well then what do I do? You know, well, you can go into accounting. So I'm like, all right. It was that stark. It wasn't like, you know, find a different political Avenue. It was just give up. Mm -hmm. So that's the 80. I mean, that's actually, that seems like a good uh, way to look at some systemic problems. Right. Which is unless you come from power, have a name are established, you're maybe not welcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And back then, and I, I, I credit my own personal um, strength for this, but back then the women, the girls were kind of like silently pushed to the side. Okay. And I honestly thought, well, I'll get this accounting degree. I can go into nonprofit and governmental accounting, which is totally different than regular accounting. And I can make a difference there. You know, I mean, I think my whole mindset was, I'm just going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. But little did I know that by entering the field of accounting where there were not, still in the 80s, late 80s, there were not that many women in accounting. I was still making a difference for, you know, the, the people coming up behind me. That makes sense. Was I mean, was it easy to sort of look forward in that new direction then? Or did the, did the, the political possibilities sort of linger and haunt you in some way? Well, they lingered a little bit, but then as I got a little bit older and I graduated and I got into business, my focus was more than, you know, the politics of what was going on around me and focused inwardly on how myself as a woman could make a change. So there's a little politics there, but not that sort of politics. Well, and so what kind of changes did you end up making beyond just going into your field? Well, um, I was one of the youngest female controllers for Tenneco or Tyco Healthcare, rather, which was part of the big Enron scandal of the 90s. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was at 34 years old, one of the youngest plant controllers in their company. Um, you know, I did things that women today um, are, I, 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 sh- I shouldn't say that. So I did things in order to make room for myself. I learned how to golf in order to be on the golf course when decisions were made. I worked for a construction company through college to understand that male dominated field. I haven't made things easy for myself, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, 
I learned how to operate within a male dominated society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds, I mean, it's 2021. I can't even believe 30 years ago, I was thinking these things because now, you know, we shouldn't have to think these things, but I kind of see myself as a little bit of a pioneer that as I became more and more, um, as I grew in my profession and became more aware of the ceiling that was above me, I tried to make changes so that other people had a higher ceiling. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking today with Jen Bauer, who is running to represent District 3 on Omaha's City Council. Well, yeah. and so did, were there people guiding you to understand that and to be kind of ahead of the curve with some of those realizations? Or was it all just through personal, you know, experiences running into, uh, you know, sometimes things would work, road, roadblocks, whatever it might be? Um, I think just my support network, my own mother and father were very supportive of everything I've done. Um, and believe me, I was not the best kid ever. <laughs> so um, what would you do? <laughs> oh, I I may have stolen a car. <laughs> um, I ran from the police. I underage drinking, the typical stuff. City council people are real people, by the way. So I, I'm glad so that, that yeah, I'm glad you note that because sometimes people get on here and they do not want to talk like humans. Well, and that's just it. I mean, I am human and I make mistakes and I learn from those mistakes. Um, the, the car story is actually a funny family story at this point in time because it was actually my mother's car that I pushed silently out of the garage at some point while my father was upstairs oblivious to anything. And just drove around town, you know, for a couple of days. Um, so anyways, but, uh, you know, my, my parents have always been very supportive of me. I lost my father a year and a half ago, and then I lost my stepdad in May. So my mother alone has been my biggest supporter. Her best friend, however, has been my biggest supporter in my business career, um, my mom being a school teacher, you know, she thinks if you take vacation, you might lose your job. <laughs> yeah. But my mom, my mom's best friend, you know, was like, you need to temper, you know, your female emotions and, you know, channel these things into productive discussions and don't get all upset and don't, you know, unfortunately, these are things you don't say to women nowadays. Mm-hmm. Don't get emotional, you know, um, but they helped me. Mm-hmm. You know, and they helped to to solidify who I am because I am collaborative and I do listen because that gives me a chance to temper myself when I'm passionate about a discussion point. And I imagine there's a, an element of code switching that's helpful for jobs and politics because like Omaha is a specific example where pretty much everybody on here has talked about how there's several different cultures kind of operating at once in Omaha, as opposed to like, it's not, a, it's probably true of most places, but Omaha's even just history of segregation has led to a lot of different uh, people who really live in completely different lives. Bubbles are completely different depending on which part of the city you're in. And so, yeah. I mean, these skills you're talking about seem like they would apply to trying to understand a city. I mean, let alone in specific business contexts. Yeah. So This city, when I moved here almost 12 years ago now, um, I had friends who lived here and friends through friends through friends had never met them. You know, I came here for work. I was working with ConAgra and they picked me up and I said, if I were to move here, where would I move? And I was literally given a square of like 24th Street to to 108th, I believe, Fort to Center. That's where you wanted to be. I didn't know any different. I mean, Mm -hmm. who else do I have but these people that have lived here all their lives, right? Yeah. So I get here and I'm slowly learning that we are so segregated. I mean, not even segregated racially, but, you know, demographically segregated. What makes me different from um, somebody in West O? I have no idea, but apparently there is a difference since I live in Midtown. Yeah, I mean, you know? what you were just saying, even about uh, like you not knowing the city, it makes me think. I think there's a lot of people in Omaha who don't know the city beyond certain streets. You know, like they they've never yeah. been there, they've heard stories, maybe maybe not even heard stories though. Oh sure, and I, you know, my my friends, like I said, lived here, grew up here, lived over somewhere fifty first ish in Dodge. You know, still live in the Dundee area, um, never left Omaha. And so that to me was like, what, what, you've never, 
moved out. I mean, not even like for a couple of years. So you have that group of people that's never left. And he said, you know, if you go north, this is what you'll get. If you go south, this is what you get. And if you go west, they're just McMansions and white people. Oh, I, I was flabbergasted. And that is because coming from Cleveland, which had huge racial disparities, huge housing issues, um, they're laid out similarly to Omaha in that the lake is up to the north and they spread east and west more so than south, but mm-hmm. they do spread, right? Um, in the 70s and 80s, they had um, race riots, well, a burning river, right? So pollution. They had so much corruption, right? That, you know, you had the Danny Green murders, you had a whole bunch of stuff going on, and you still had corruption cases up until the last few years. But Cleveland overcame for the most part and started dealing with them. And I really, you know, that city holds a, it, it just holds a lot for me because they did make a change. What did that, so I get, what, what does that look like? How do you, how do you start to, you know, heal some of that? I think you talk about it. You, you address it directly. Um, I think that's what they did. Um, you know, through forums and, and arts and entertainment and, you know, creating a culture of inclusion is not easy, but, but they did it. And it's probably taken them 30 some years and it's not done. And that's the other thing. It's not done. And they know it's not done, you know, but they're, you know, integrating with the police officers and the schools and the business owners to make something cohesive that people are proud of. So it sounds like you're saying then that your experience in Cleveland and I imagine even some of the baggage with Kent uh, gives you a perspective on Omaha that maybe, I mean, you have, you, there's a, there's a, there's, I mean, there's values to different ways of doing it. So someone who's lived in Omaha their whole lives has one perspective, but then also just to be able to leave Omaha and come back to it or to look at it as kind of an outsider at some point does give you different perspectives. So to you, it sounds like that's an advantage because seeing how other places have dealt with this either can give you maybe like, here's how to do it. Here's how not to do it. But uh, you know, that perspective gives you more to work with in some sense. I think it just gives me a little insight. You know, I don't have all the answers, but the wonderful thing about Omaha is there are some very smart people in this city. Incredibly smart, whether you're talking housing, transportation, you know, um, race relations, there are some super incredible people here. And I would, you know, I have been fortunate enough in my 10 years to be able to meet some of those resources. So that's my hope is that we can tap these people. Yeah. Well, so what was it that brought you to Omaha in the first place? Well, I came with ConAgra. I was um, on their product development team uh, out in the plants. And so there was an opening here and I thought, you know, I'd been here visiting um, for, you know, a week at a time. And I just thought, oh, Omaha is actually pretty cool with the exception of no professional sports, but I hadn't lived in Cleveland for, you know, 25 years either. So let's just, let's just cut that out. Um, But I felt that it had a lot of culture. The people were super friendly. When I started to look at housing and taxes, I was like, well, there was no housing shortage at the time, um, the taxes are a lot less than the Northeast. And it just was very welcoming. I mean, I used to tell my mom, I thought that Omaha was the best kept secret in the Midwest. And I kind of want to keep it that way. And then, you know, I learned things and, you know, every day I grow in this city and I just still, I still like it. I'm talking with Jen Bauer, who is running to represent District 3 on Omaha's City Council. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and let us know what you think. We'll be back with more of the conversation after this break. Welcome to Back Row Center, a podcast from Filmstreams, an art house organization in Omaha, Nebraska. 
I'm Filmstream's Communications Director, Patrick Kinney, and I'm joined by Dana Ryan, Filmstream's Development Manager, and Diana Martinez, Filmstream's Artistic Director. Dana, will you tell us more about what to expect from Back Row Center? Every month, the three of us will come together to talk about what's happening at Filmstream's and in the larger film world. Our theaters are places where we use film to put different art forms in conversation with each other and springboard important discussions about identity, politics, and art with moviegoers of all ages. We're excited to bring these conversations to you in a brand new format and hopefully have some fun in the process. As many of you may know, we've been going nonstop since our closure in March due to coronavirus. From our slate of virtual events and Q&As to weekly new releases available on our site, we're excited for a more personal way to bring you all in closer to the heart of our organization by hearing straight from the people behind the scenes. You'll get to know the three of us, as well as the rest of the Filmstream's crew, as this podcast develops. Even though we're closed, we still believe in the power of film as a collective, communal experience. So subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you listen, and we encourage you to tell us your thoughts about future topics, the films we talk about, and stuff we need to watch through our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Filmstream's everywhere. Until next time, we'll see you in the best seats in the house, Back Row Center. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can always find our most recent 50 episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a review today or become a patron over at patreon.com slash riversidechats to get access to our full backlog. Today I'm talking with Jen Bauer, who is running to represent District 3 on Omaha's City Council. So what's the arc then of that where it's the best kept secret but then also feeling compelled to get in the mix and actually start to do some of this change beyond. I mean, it sounds like you've always wanted to be in the room making decisions, but also that comes in, you know, from seeing specific problems and feeling like you can help. Right. So what, what, how did you get to the point of wanting to run for city council? Well, when I, when I bought my house that I'm in now in Midtown, um, it was an abandoned house. And so I bought the house. It was, um, Three months before I could move in, it had to be totally renovated, electrical, plumbing, etc. I got a call from Restoration Exchange Omaha saying, hey, we're going to do a home tour in your area. Would you like to do it? And I'm like, uh, I might need a little time. And they were like, it's in a year. I'm like, cool, I'm in. And so within doing that, I then learned of these neighborhood associations, right? Um, we had neighborhoods in a lot of the towns that I've lived in, but not actual you know, um, neighborhood associations that are vetted by the city and in, in fact created by the city, right? So I'm like, this is a really cool concept. It's a conduit to city hall. It's a conduit to the city council. It's a conduit to parks and recreation. It's really awesome, right? So I got involved with that. I did the home tour. And then shortly after that, I was asked if I would um, consider running for president. So I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, I thought it would be a great way to volunteer and to learn more about my neighbors and the community. So I've been the president of Exarban Elmwood Park Neighborhood Association for about four and a half years now. Um, I have gotten involved in public works and with city council and, you know, parks and recreation. We do cleanup at a park that we adopted years ago. We've done mayor's grants to improve that park. We do beautification. We were integral in the um, 63rd and Shirley traffic circle, kind of behind UNO. And, you know, I've been doing that. The past year has been a struggle because the majority of our members aren't exactly technical savvy. um, And it was very hard to keep people informed. And there really wasn't anything going on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we do spring cleanup. We do a whole bunch of service stuff. So I was, here's, here's another, you know, council people are real people sitting in the driveway during COVID with my, you know, six of my friends all spread out six feet apart, complaining about the trash contract. Yeah. (laughs) I vote. I can complain about it. I actually spoke in front of city council, so I still get to complain about it. (laughs) Um, And somebody said, when are you going to run for city council? I'm like, oh, no. I am not, no, I'm not running for city council. I'm not running against Chris, Chris Jerem. He's been here for 12, you know, he's been in that role for 12 years. That's just throwing good money after bad. And then two weeks later, he announced he wasn't running again. 
And two seconds after that, I was getting texts and phone calls. So people could sense, I mean, it sounds like the fact that you were asked to become president of, you know, uh, of, you know, the fact that you were asked to, you know, elevate the, the role that you had means that you were doing a job that people were appreciating. And so it's like, I assume that also there's connections you make that would be useful on city council. And so, I mean, so how involved were you beyond, you know, going to talk about like a trash contract? Were you going, were you involved with city council a lot already over the past few years? Well, over the past few years, Yes. I mean, we've gone regarding development in the neighborhood. You know, we've had a lot of development in Exarban Park, you know, Exarban mm-hmm. and Stinson Park. Um, so we met with the developers there and, you know, they came to the association to have us approve their plans. PJ Morgan built a building, a multi-residential building in Exarban in the neighborhood. And he came to us. Um, there's been several instances of that. And the, the neighborhood association has a great relationship with these developers because they knew that they could come to us. And also because we knew we could voice our concerns and be heard. Right. So that kind of mitigates having to go in front of city council and say, I don't approve of this because nobody told me about it because we did all that Mm pre-work. Right. So I think that, um, is really one of the things that I'm most proud of is building those relationships. Um, you know, I went and talked to the engineers when we were talking about the traffic circle. I feel that I can call my council person as the president, but as a citizen as well and say, look, I don't like this. Can we talk about it? And I have that relationship. And I think other people have that relationship too. And I want to continue that relationship. You're not always going to get the answer that you want. And I think in the past year and a half, people have felt not heard because, you know, there's just so much stuff going on. But my, my, my personality is such that I want to help. And if there's a way I can help, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I know on your, on your website, you've got, uh, it looks like three main themes that you're uh, running on. So we have fiscal responsibility, diversity, inclusion, and sustainability. I was thinking maybe we could just sort of go down the list. So what is it about fiscal responsibility? Why does that make the list as a, even as the first one of your themes? Well, I think that is the head of my theme because it really feeds into inclusion and sustainability, right? Okay. If we're taking care of the money in a manner that our city services are strong, our roads are better, our services, you know, aren't being questioned. The neighbors, the inclusion piece of that and the diversity, people feel that they can be a part of city council, right, and be heard because we're making those changes, which then leads into making changes related to transportation and housing, you know, housing insecurity, especially in this district, because we've taken care of the money. My biggest concern about our money situation is the fact that in the year of COVID, when we had, you know, a $81 million shortfall projected, we got $74 million from the county for CARES Act, and we still came out with a 5 to $7 million surplus. I mean, how does that happen? How did that happen? Do you, know, do you have I an answer? I haven't figured it out. I keep going back and I look, you know, because I'm an accountant, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in my nature to go through and look at every single line item. I don't understand. I, 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 I struggle with this, this, um, the bond that we just approved in November for the street program and which streets are actually going to be fixed, right? Which of these unimproved projects are we going to do? And what is the project plan? Where is our master plan? What... <laughs> You know, it's 10 years old. Are we not doing something within the master plan or within parks that they got shorted a couple million dollars? Somebody had to be shorted. I, I just can't figure out who it is. And part of your moment. argument is somebody should be able to figure that out if they want to because it's public money. Yeah, it's public money. And, you know, I think one of the things people don't realize is that every week at city council, there are consent agenda items where they go through the spending of the city, right? We're going to buy this tractor. We're going to employ this contractor for this road program. 
and everything has a fund. And that's the thing about general or um, governmental accounting. Everything is given a fund and a fund number. And it may have been funded from 2012, not likely, but at least 2019, 18, right? So it's not even touching this year's money, right? So we're not, we're not focusing, in my opinion, on what is making this, could potentially make the city better. We tend to focus on, we just signed a $20 million trash contract. Okay, but what about our money right now? And I want to fix that and make sure that we're spending it responsibly on correcting issues that over the years have gone and, you know, gotten worse mm -hmm. so that we can move forward to get to a point where we're focusing on food insecurity, housing insecurity, those things which are so very important to the urban core because we are the urban core. Yeah. One issue that's come up a lot recently, especially with the city council is the crossroads project and funding for it. So maybe, maybe do you have a take on that? Is that responsible city money in the long term? Does it work out for you or where do you, where do you fall on it? I, I have hopes that this development grows um, the tax base around it, not only, at the development. Um, I was in meetings prior to it going before planning where, you know, discussions were had about expanding uh, Dodge to allow for turn lanes, um, the green spaces, the parking spaces will reduce the parking spaces. You know, there's, everybody's got a certain want and need. Okay. You're and those developers have to sort it out. Right. So they're going to reduce the number of parking spaces because we want to promote bicycle use, but we don't have good crosswalks and we have traffic issues. So we need to do that. Now, my only problem with this is the TIF spending. Mm -hmm. can, right? you, can you explain TIF spending? Because I bet you'll do a way better job than I will if I try. So when the developer went to city council to get his TIF approval, what it does is it says for X amount of dollars that they're asking for, they are going to have um, approval from the city council to get a bond basically for this X amount, right? In this case, it was 79, almost $80 million to offset, offset the development, some of the development costs related to this large undertaking. What that does is it says, okay, at, from this point today, I'm no longer going to increase the property value of that development property for 15 years, okay? So they're gonna pay taxes based on that one flat line of valuation. In the meantime, for every year that the valuation goes up, that is that incremental piece, okay? That incremental piece is what they're planning to use as a repayment. So it's theoretical money. Mm -hmm. And is, is there right? is there accountability for it? Like if, if something doesn't go right or is it just sort of a gamble that the city makes in hopes that it will eventually pay off? No, there there are steps and there are actually hoops that had to have gone through. They had to go through before um, even going to the board. And I know they go back and forth with, you know, well, we're going to ask for this much. Well, you got to prove that out. You know, there's got to be um, – is a lot of documentation. And this was much larger than any other TIF uh, amount in Omaha, right? Historically, historically large. I mean, uh, tomorrow at city council, there's a, another TIF request for some um, new apartments going over off of Jones and 33rd. You know, those are, those are the typical things I saw. They were a million dollars, a million two, very sort of small, which is paid back over 15 years. Mm -hmm. So not a lot of risk in my mind, right? 1.2 million over 15 years isn't so bad. $80 million over 15 years is huge. Yeah, well, I guess that's where the question of it's public money, is this a good use of it when that's 80 million that could be going to any other part of the city, right? Well, the city designated a blighted area. Um, I don't, I, yeah, that was a decision I'm not sure I could have made. Although, you know, Let's face it, the developer said, I get the TIF or I don't build. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, how do you weigh that as a, as a potential council member? Well, I think as a potential council member, I would have asked for some, for some I don't want to call them concessions, but for allowances, right? 
allowances for affordable housing, allowances for better um, curbs and, and crosswalks, maybe a bridge over Dodge, you know, from seven in that 72nd and Dodge area. So that people could ride their bikes there. Something connecting to the trail system that is a wonderful trail system. Um, so I don't know that those weren't done. I do know that there is not a lot of um, the housing that's going in there is mainly focused on young professionals and professionals, not so much on the kids. So you can't really call it an affordable housing option when it's not a family mm -hmm. type option. Uh, it's probably workforce level housing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get that these are complicated situations and it's tough. I know <laughs> another one was uh, police spending versus mental health spending that came up certainly over the summer. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's be aware that the police did get a grant to have uh, mental health professionals in their, in their, um, in what they call Frank units. I mean, I, I am, I am all for cutting some spending in relationship to um, all of our programs, right? What I am not for is cutting anything from the OPD budget that has to do with community service or mental health, right? But I also don't agree with just upping their budget two million dollars every, you know, couple of years for more cars and more police officers. I'm not, I, I don't have the inside information on that. I think it needs to be reviewed, but they have done incredible jobs in the community. They have made changes in the last seven years that I'm aware of that I think are being lost in the conversation. So the problem then to some extent would be the conversation, right? Is that something the city council can, I mean, would you be able to help bridge some of that gap or help, uh, you know, change the messaging so that it's, because so that there's fewer conflicts between various different parts, disparate parts of the city. I would definitely try. I know there's problems. Okay. I'm not, I'm not Pollyanning this up at all. There are issues and those issues need to be addressed. Right. But part of my, my goal as a city council person is also to be transparent mm -hmm. and to give information, whether it's by, you know, holding a town hall doing a, a Zoom event for whoever, meeting over at UNO on my own personal time. I wanna be able to be transparent with the residents of Omaha, not just District 3, mm. right? Um, I, I, as part of the Neighborhood Association, I did attend the um, uh, Southwest Precinct's advisory council meetings. And those are monthly, were monthly meetings where we go over the crime stats and what we can do. I am a proponent of community policing. I mean, I'm not going to back down from that. I think the PACE program's awesome. I think, you know, the they need to expand that outside of, you know, the areas that it does. But I am also not stupid, and I believe we have some definite culture issues, mm -hmm. and they need to be addressed. So uh, another one on your list is sustainability here. So uh -huh. I... I've talked with a lot of people about this and I, there does seem to be a lot of criticism of the trash deal, like you've already sort of alluded to here. So, I mean, what, what is, what does a more sustainable Omaha look like? Because I, I find the biggest issue is how big do people want to think with it? You know, like, is it as small as just, we have more composting or we, you know, allow it so it's easier for people to recycle glass or do we do something bigger than that? What, what's your vision? Oh, well, my, my vision on that is to get through, I think 20, 22 when we have to uh, cover the recycling um, processing budget we don't have a contract for that so right now we have two providers one's not cutting it the other one's a little higher cost we got to figure out what to do um, I have a feeling that the the world changes every day around recycling you know um, where are we sending our recycling? How is it being used? Is it really feasible? Do we try to, you know, have some sort of education moving into more composting? And I'm a composter, okay? I joined a pilot here in my neighborhood. I got lucky. I don't think a lot of people know about those options either, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, so my vision of the Omaha in that respect is, yeah, more options, 
to recycle curbside is best, right? I would love to be able to throw glass in the curbside recycling. I also understand that that's not how these processors are operating, but they do operate like that in other cities. Mm-hmm. So I got to figure that out. Um, Hillside um, is doing a really great job of taking the composting into schools. Mm-hmm. So I think they're doing an excellent job on education and I want to keep them, you know, keep that moving forward. Keep Omaha beautiful again, doing great things with education, starting with the younger kids, you know, getting them all pumped up for cleaner Omaha. That's great. Um, what we, what we have problems with is keeping just the city pretty, right? So I was over near Creighton the other day and I hopped on 480 South and I was like, there's all these clothes all over the interstate, which is coming in from basically Iowa, right? Well, what kind of look is that? Right. We look trashy. I know it's right after the snow and everything looks yucky right now, but that's horrible. Somebody call and, you know, hey, get the sweet street sweeper out there or something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so beautification is very important. Uh, the one thing that I'm excited about um, in, in sustainability, though, is there's a glass person that is actually, it's a business, so it's not recycling and it's not free. Glassman, you know, is also taking glass and repurposing it locally. So, so is that's something the city could try to incorporate in some way? Well, maybe not incorporate, but partner with, you know, I think the city tends to partner with some of these groups. He is a for-profit, whereas Keep Omaha Beautiful and those groups are not profit. Hillside's Mm -hmm. for-profit. So, you know, the partnering with them would be optimal in my mind. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's a, there's a clear line between beautification as just the aesthetic appeal, but then also in terms of the climate in general, right? I mean, you do want there to be you want to make different choices that are more conscious about, you know, what types of plants, what types of trees do we need grass everywhere as opposed to actually trying to have something that's, you know, native plants that will sustain biodiversity in the city. So, I mean, I found in my experience, composting was uh, the rabbit hole that leads to thinking about all of that stuff. And you can't yeah. unsee it once you sort of go down there and start to think about like what biodegrades, what's, you know, what is in the dirt? How do we make that good for, you know, all the other creatures, wildlife, et cetera. So I don't know if you went down that, uh, that kind of rabbit hole as well, but I mean, is your vision of what beautification can mean beyond just like, oh, that's pretty. Uh, and what, what would that look like for you? Well, for me, so I went through the whole emerald, emerald ash borer issue, mm-hmm. right? And they took down all these trees. And then we were like barren where it's like you're in a neighborhood that had these huge 80 year old trees and all of a sudden you have nothing and no direct communicated plan to, to replace them. Mm-hmm. Right. We're just coming in. In fact, I got an email the other day. They're coming for more. Right. Um, and you do have um, associations and alliances like the Midtown Neighborhood Alliance, which will give you money for grants for trees. Right. And then you go and you put these trees in, which is, again, sustainable because you need your canopy and you need a home for, you know, bugs and birds and what have you. Um, but everything can't be just beautification like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think when a city looks clean, it, it is perceived as healthy and it is perceived as forward thinking and you know, people have pride in their city. Is that part of sustainability? No, probably not. But, uh, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's going to help if you have problems with your brain drain, because these young, you know, kids coming up, they don't want a bad looking city. Mm -hmm. They want a city with transportation options that looks good, that has good places to eat, you know, that they don't have to worry about housing. Right. Yeah. But it still has to look good. (laughs) I get that. I get that. Yeah. I just, my compost brain is always just like, what about, what about the bugs? You know, what about all the the biodiversity? How can we bring that here? And every time I see, you know, just like the side of the road, that's just grass. It's like, dude, I I didn't want to be one of those people who's anti, you know, lawns and grass, but I I feel, (laughs) I feel it coming. Yeah, I know. And I, you know, I'm one of those people that I don't put pesticides on my yard, Yeah, same. but I will go out and pick out the dandelions 
Yeah. And I, I've done it for like years and somebody stopped me last year and you're like, they're like, you know, you're not helping. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not putting chemicals. You're not helping the bees. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I felt so guilty. I felt guilty. It's it's stressful living in the world, trying to be aware and help things. And uh, All right. So we're running toward the end of our time here. So before I do let you go, was there anything we didn't talk about here that you want to make sure people know who might vote for you or just want to know more about you? Um, I met Baker Mayfield at the Exarban DJs. <laughs> no, I kid. Um, people should know that I am actually, um, I am all for this. I, I really feel that we need change um progressive change collaborative change in omaha um i i am part of a huge group of women that are running for all seven city council districts and i think that is incredible um just the 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 unity of being part of that is uplifting to me i mean you know yes i'll be devastated if i don't i won't be devastated but i'll be upset if i don't win but you know at the same time if another woman won, I would totally support her, but I would also give her full, you know, give her the same treatment that I have given Chris Jerram and the city council. I'm not going to be any less quiet. Um, and that's the other thing. I'm not going to give up my job as Exarban Elmwood Park president, not going to stop doing community things. You know, I just have to add, add to my repertoire. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really enjoyed getting to know you. And thank you for being a trailblazer. It sounds like you've done a lot of cool things. And I'm sure regardless of what happens, there's there's plenty ahead that will be uh, notable and trailblazing as well. I hope so. After a little vacation. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks for talking to me. All right. Thanks, Tom. That was Jen Bauer, who's running to represent District 3 on Omaha's City Council. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exarvin Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos, and our artwork is done by Ben Batukowitz. You can find our backlog of episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please subscribe and leave us a review. It helps us get the show to new listeners. I'm Tom Noblock, and as always, thank you for listening. This has been Riverside Chats. <laughs>